You're listening to Oak City Move, a new podcast from 88.1 WKNC, highlighting people doing positive things in Raleigh and beyond. Oak City Move can be heard on air every Friday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on 88.1 WKNC or online at wknc.org listen. For episodes and more information, go to blog.wknc.org or follow us on SoundCloud at WKNC881. WKNC88.1. That song was called NCGOP from John Lindsay and the NC Love Army. The NC Music Love Army. Long. Is it? Did I say that in the right order, John? You, the NC Music Love Army. You nailed it. The NC Music Love Army. And before that, we had... Lauren Hill with Duop, That Thing. And we are the Oak City Move. We're here every Friday from 9 to 11, discussing people who are enacting change in North Carolina, positive influences in their communities, and artists who are empowering and inspiring. And my name's Fionn. My name's Sarah. And we've got John Lindsay here, who you just heard. And he's been doing some great work and making big strides for our um, political atmosphere in North Carolina. And if you stick around later, we are going to have William Thomas. He is a painter based out of Durham. So we're excited to see him. He's got some events coming up this week. And as always, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or you just want to call in and disagree with us or agree with us, we'd love to hear that kind of stuff. Uh, call in to 919-515-0881 or 919-515-2400. We also have a Twitter that we'll be checking throughout the feed if you want to at us with any questions. So you just come on right at us. Just 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 give us what you got. Come at me. (laughs) Yeah, come at me, bros. Come at me, bro. So, John, who are you? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Deep question, deep question. Why are you here? Right out the gate. So existential, so early Mm -hmm. in the morning, Fionn. Yeah. Um, Well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a a silly, silly man. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I'm an artist, and uh, I, I will proudly own the term activist and advocate. Uh, for things cultural, things progressive, uh, things positive in the community. And I'm um, here today to talk about uh, what we're working on in Love Army land. So what is the NC Music Love Army? So for those of you guys who don't know, uh, the NC Music Love Army is a collective of artists that started in 2013. Um, it's a, a big, has grown into a, a big family that's been purpose for lots of uh Lots of cool organizing activity. But we began as the soundtrack to the Moral Monday movement. Cool. So we partnered with Reverend William Barber and mm-hmm. the Forward Together Moral, Moral Monday movement to uh, sort of support the NAACP's efforts here uh, and statewide with um, really backing up the existing messaging and content that Reverend Barber was driving out in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um in that time, sort of the key issues uh, that continue, unfortunately, to be key focus issues for us were and are um, voter suppression, you know, gerrymandering, uh, equality issues, all the stuff that um, we really, you know, are, have been frustrated with uh, how, how uh, not far the needle has moved. Yeah. Um, despite it, despite so many t- efforts from so many great folks. Uh, so, yeah, we, we partnered with the NAACP. We started appearing at Moral Mondays uh, in a support role mm-hmm. where we would come out and sing original protest songs yeah. to sort of galvanize folks at the rallies out at Halifax Mall. Yeah. Um, and 
so we had these original protest songs and we decided to make a, an initial debut record and we uh short story long had some tremendous success with being able to bring together uh, musicians from across North Carolina a lot of them were kind of were and are centered based mostly here in the triangle Chapel mm-hmm. Hill Durham yeah. Raleigh uh, Winston some other folks um, from a little farther out but uh, we decided to make an original LP of protest okay. music and uh, we ended up cranking out a, a record called we are not for sale in 2013 that um, had 10 original protest songs on it and then from there we've uh, in what seems like uh, really short three years and 10 months or so we've uh, got about 12 or 13 official releases now mm-hmm. so we've put together a whole lot of music that's to support awesome. our, our candidates and causes that's yeah. awesome so what issues are is the uh, nc music love army working around currently well so we are as you know we're in a pretty crazy landscape right now. <laughs> yeah um we're hoping to to see uh, a special election this year but it looks like it's probably not going to happen i'm mm-hmm. not a fortune teller but uh <laughs> I do know, uh, I've been taking a lot of meetings lately, a lot of planning, sort of strategy meetings with uh, legislators that I admire and I think are doing really good stuff, Um, such as Greg Meyer, um, is a good friend of mine, and uh, doing some really positive things in the the legislature, Uh, and been working with uh, Greg and some other folks uh, to look at where can we have the most powerful impact going forward with the Love Army. And I think that we've demonstrated that we can take protest music and record it and effectively push it out through sort of traditional channels of marketing and publicity in the music industry to sort of take this issue-based music and uh, really have it sort of penetrate into markets and sectors that it wouldn't normally get to um, if we weren't pushing these songs through college radio and through, um, you know, taking... Uh, our concert series like Stand Against HB2 that was a House Bill 2 was our our focus issue for last year so we took a a road show and put it together and uh, we had a sort of core group of artists um, and then we augmented it with uh, artists in all the markets that we went to so we would have like Wilmington for example we had you know Onward Soldiers and the Coastal Collective and uh, really great uh, local bands and artists and poets and folks down there um, open up the show and then we brought you know our, our sort of core contingency of of groups that, that traveled around to all the different markets that are bit that are from here that people associate with like old school love army um, and so with the HB2 um, stand against HB2 mission we sort of and and taking uh, our work out into the community it sort of dawned on me this project that I wanted to talk about with you guys today, which I think is going to be so cool that um, we're leaving so many resources on the table in these districts and rural areas where there are people that want to be a part of this fight and want to be a part of this discourse. But um, I think those folks recognize that there's sort of just a sense of certain areas that are written off as like a loss for progressives and um, so I've been thinking about this uh, project that I want to do, which kind of totally radically repositions the Love Army uh, to do sort of a new phase of work that doesn't focus as much on here's our releases that we're going to push this year in terms of records, 
Um, but it's looking at how can we work in an administrative capacity and sort of facilitate relationships between candidates, causes, and campaigns and artists in local districts and communities out in North Carolina. So it's taking, uh, so the program is going to be called Calling 100 Counties. Uh, and it's basically going to be the NC Music Love Army pairing up uh, not just musicians, not just bands. Of course, musicians and bands are going to be a, a huge core part of it, but also, you know, ballet companies, theater troops, anybody, any artists or um, uh, cultural entity that has a platform and uh, has an interest in, in progressive issues and candidates. We're going to be able to team them up with people who are running for city council, people who are running for the NCGA, uh, state senate candidates. We're going to be able to pair bands and groups and artist entities with those campaigns and those causes as soon as the slate of candidates is announced and comes out. Mm -hmm. So we don't know if that's going to be 2017 or 2018. Looking less and less likely that it's going to be this year with every day that goes by, unfortunately. Yeah. But that might not be a bad thing because we can get this ground game together and be more effective for next year. So in short, it's taking, uh, like we were talking about before yeah. the segment here, if you look at what do um, bands or artists have in terms of existing digital infrastructure, they have Facebook, they have Twitter, they have a, a digital community, and they have a, a real you know, physical human community presence um, in, in their areas. So they have infrastructure that's super powerful. And it occurred to me that if we took, you know, that existing infrastructure, candidates who might not be well known at all that really need that support in the areas from which they come could plug in with a band on day one as soon as they announce their candidacy. And the band could offer support with their digital infrastructure and all their resources in helping to cascade that messaging out that the campaign has into the community and getting bodies into rooms for rallies and events. Um, and then in the traditional Love Army capacity where we've created original content that supports candidates and causes, I think there can still be some success with that model that we've shown works too, where you know folks can create original music or uh, original works, plays, you know, whatever. Uh, that supports progressive uh, values and candidates. So it's really a, a sort of administrative function mm -hmm. that the Love Army would play um, that I think we were not in a position to do before because we needed to establish ourselves as an organization that's vital and that could really contribute to the discourse here in North Carolina politics. Um, and now that we've sort of got a cool brand and some cool brand awareness and uh, really built a, a cool network and, and great personnel on our roster. Um, we sort of always have that and can wheel that out when we want to be like, you know, here are our records, here are our shows that we uh, sort of, you know, own ourselves in terms of, um, you know, putting out this content. But I'm more interested in how can we foster relationships? How can we expand what we've seen works, you know, here in the triangle um, and how can we push that out to communities and and start bringing folks together to sort of employ this model that we've we've seen have success here? So um, you mentioned earlier that you kind of want to reach out to different artists and pair them up with um, people that are in North Carolina politics. Um, something that I don't know, like if this has been a problem that's arisen now or might arise in the future. Um, if you have, I mean, 
a lot of the times local artists are, you know, that's their main source of income. Um, and being a local artist isn't really, I mean, I'm sure you know it's not really, a, it's, not, it's not an easy profession. Um, so do you find that, um, that there are any artists that you've approached in the past um, that are hesitant, you know, to, um, to go out there and join the project, you know, and put their voices out because it might risk, you know, their career or their following or something like that? Ah, great question. Um, (laughs) So, I guess I would say this. There's been very few artists that the Love Army has sort of gone after in terms of Mm -hmm. trying to recruit folks. Yeah. And um, so sort of two parts here. Um, So the good news is we've had an influx historically of people coming to us saying, we want to make music with you. We want to support the Love Army. We want to be a part. Um, And we've had traditionally more of that than we've known what to do with because we've been you know, having a limited number of uh, opportunities in terms of space to put people on recordings and concerts and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we haven't really gone out so much and sort of actively tried to, to headhunt and recruit, you know, artists and, and bands and yeah. groups for our projects. But there have been a couple, to your question, maybe a few isolated incidents where uh, we we have asked maybe one or two folks who are just like huge marquee, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, names to be a part of stuff where, and of course I won't say who they are, but <laughs> yeah. where there has been, um, you know, some pushback in terms of like, oh, a reluctancy, a reluctancy, a reluctancy, yeah, reluctancy <laughs> to, yeah, reluctant, whatever that word is, uh, <sighs> to get involved with us, um, or not just with us, but with, um, with progressive politics or politics in general for fear of alienating an existing fan base that pays their bills. Um, so that's happened once or twice um, with some sort of you know, gigantic folks. Um, but then we've also had some gigantic folks that are like, how can we help? We can't wait to to be involved. So, you know, that um, it's happened before. But it seems like I can really only, I'm sort of thinking, you know, who has done that. I can really only recall like one or two people that we've approached to be involved in stuff who sort of pushed back and said, well, I won't say this publicly, but off the record, here's why we can't, you know, do stuff. But looking at that, um, I guess the other thing, the other uh, point that comes to mind is, is, you know, when you have, um, I guess since we've not really gone out and sort of tried to to bring folks into the fold of our organization because people have been hitting us up historically and we've not even had enough, you know, uh, room in projects to accommodate everybody who wants to be a part, that's a lot of where this, this new program kind of, um, the, some of the genesis of this new program is that there's unlimited space for people yeah. to participate if we take things out into to the, the community across the state. And we look at, okay, anybody who raises their hand and says, I do want to be involved. I do want my group or uh, company or, or whatever to have a voice and be paired up, um, which there seems to be a lot more of that than the other issue that mm-hmm. we were just talking about a second ago. Um, that's sort of been our problem is how do we how do we bring more folks in that want to be a part of what we're doing here with the Love Army that we've not been able to accommodate everybody. So let's hear another one of your songs, John. This next one I've got is The Ballad of Lennon Lacey. Can you give us some background on that? It's with uh, Rhiannon and Giddens. Yeah, this is um, this song has a bunch of great people on it. It's uh, a tune of mine that I wrote um, after a young man from Bladenboro, North Carolina, was found, a young African-American named Lennon Lacey, was found hanging in a 
predominantly white trailer park. Um, he, I will say that the circumstances surrounding his death are extremely suspicious. Um, and uh, it, it, it's highly likely that he was lynched by the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, and I wrote a and song. when was this? This was in uh, 2014, in August. And then I wrote the song and released it in August of 2015 to um, sort of uh, commemorate what had happened. Uh, and the family is still looking for answers. There was a, a special investigation that the NAACP conducted on their own. Um, and they found tons of compelling evidence that the death by hanging was not a suicide, but was, you know, done to Lennon by uh, some other folks. And then uh, there was a special investigation that Eric Holder was conducting. Um, and unfortunately, the uh, the results of that investigation were inconclusive and things just sort of momentum with the case just sort of dropped. But folks um, everywhere who... Uh, who know better, kind of refuse to accept that uh, that the death was a suicide. WKNC 88.1, that last song you heard was called The Ballad of Lennon Lacey from John Lindsay with Rhiannon Giddens. And we're here with John Lindsay, speaking with him about some projects he's working on called, I always forget, what is it? Calling 100 Counties. Calling 100 Counties. You can <laughs> use the 100 emoji on that. We right. played this. Right. And... Coming up next, Sarah, we were talking off air about some of the things that John hopes to do with this project. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, so um, well, specifically what we were just talking about um, off the air was uh, all the opportunities here when you pair up uh, bands and groups and artists with campaigns, causes, and candidates, and you put that pairing together at the beginning of the life cycle of an election instead of like six weeks toward the end, you know, six, mm -hmm. like six weeks ahead of election day saying, Hey, <laughs> let's work on get out the vote and uh, try to turn people out. I'm looking at two opportunities. We were just talking about um, one is to use uh, artists to push discourse and dialogue between candidates and campaigns and causes. Um, we can talk a little bit more about that. And then the other one is a sustained engagement, get out the vote effort um, which is just, you know, get out the messaging, get out the bodies, turn people out. Um, so it's sort of two prongs that I want to look at. But did you guys want to? Yes. So you were discussing the importance of getting people out, not only to vote at the election at the very end of the campaign, but the importance of getting them, you know, getting them to the rallies and getting them educated about who they're going to be voting for. And and pushing candidates on issues and shaping a, a dialogue and a discourse. Right. Yeah. So the example that we used off the air was like, say, take a band from around here, just uh, like Pie Face Girls, for example. And this is the analogy I used off the air. So if I were to pair, um, and this is, again, taking the Love Army in an administrative context and taking our network and our resources of artists and, and groups and saying, all right, let's take say pie face girls for example and pair them with um candidate hypothetical candidate a from uh pie face girls district right which i guess would be wake county since that's where they are so if we were to put them together at the beginning of the uh cycle for uh, for an election then there would be an opportunity in that pairing for pie face girls to cascade the messaging out of that candidate through um, 
their own shows, through their social media, through appearing at the events of that candidate. But in that relationship, in that hypothetical relationship, there'd be an example for, say, an outspoken uh, group like Pie Face Girls, who's such a great advocate for uh, equal pay for the whole entire feminist platform. You know, everything that's... um, uh, that's going on in equality issues, you know, and of course they're outspoken on lots of great issues, but, um, you know, equality is a big issue for them. So they could, um, they could ostensibly really drive discourse and dialogue with the candidate that they're supporting by saying, all right, you know, say maybe we've got a centrist candidate, a centrist Democrat mm-hmm. yeah. that needs to be a little bit more to the left on, um, issues that a band like pie face girls cares about. Then Pie Face Girls can say, well, look, we support you and we want to see you win. You're a Democrat. You know, you're you're a candidate or in a campaign that's uh, espousing, you know, mostly progressive values we can get behind. But we'd like to see you move a little bit more to the left um, in in terms of your support for uh, for issues that we care about. Right. So that can really drive um, discourse between artists and campaigns that I think is really going to help move the needle in terms of sliding the uh, democratic establishment and the state to the left. Would so, you com- go ahead. Would you <laughs> compare this to say like a lobbyist in DC except it's an artist in North Carolina? I think that's a great analogy because you know, you look at everything that's wrong with politics, you know, yeah, killing it. Let me get there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, if you look at everything that's wrong with politics in terms of big money and lobbying, right? There's um there's all this stuff that's super frustrating that it seems like um you know, so overwhelming. It makes people just want to turn their back on the entire process. But I think it's a great analogy when you talk about lobbying because there's a positive form of lobbying that's really the heart and soul of what democracy used to be and should be, right? It's your everyday people, and by extension, you know, artists and people with platforms in the community, um, pushing dialogue, you know, being involved in and shaping discussions that candidates are supposed to respond to, and then, you know, hopefully that that dis- that discourse turns into a response that affects policy. The difference between advocacy and lobbying. Yeah, exactly. So, but it's a great simple way to look at it that, you know, essentially if if uh if if you want to look at um this as, you know, bands and groups and artists and musicians and the like, you know, lobbying for uh for positive change in uh campaigns and candidates and causes, I think that that's that's an appropriate way to look at it, but just take away the, you know, the, the money that happens in lobbying. There would be none of that. There would be, uh, nobody doing lobbying for any sort of like, uh, dark industries or, you know, mysterious, uh, personal agenda or whatever, mysterious entities. Yeah. It would just be, um, you know, lobbying for, uh, the people. The people. Yeah, exactly. So I had, sorry, um, So this is more focused on the legislators, like the question I'm about to ask. So you said um, before we got started that you had had meetings with um, local legislators here in Mm -hmm. Wake County. Um, So I guess my question is when you approach these state politicians, you know, I mean, like say if I were a legislator, I mean, personally, if I had some really, you know, free thinking artist or director to be like, yeah, man, I really want to do this thing. You know, I'd be kind of like, okay, this like, you know, I wouldn't really take it seriously. How has the reaction been? from politicians that you reached out to and tried to meet with? Well, that's, that's a really wonderful question. Um, the meetings that I'm taking right now happen to be with um, politicians here in the Triangle who are already hip to the mission of the Love Army. 
Um, I mentioned uh, my friend Greg Meyer. Uh, he uh, is the the representative for Orange County in the in the NCGA. And uh, Greg was a, a big supporter of the Love Army from day one. He's got, you know, some of our wax, our, our vinyl in his uh, <laughs> office. And he'll, you know, he'll tweet and post pictures of, yeah. uh, hey, I'm getting ready to go into a really tough, you know, fight in the legislature today. And to hype myself up, I'm, I'm playing the Love Army debut record, you know. And so Greg was on my radar um, a couple of years ago for his sort of early, you know, buy-in to mm-hmm. what it is that we do in yeah. the Love Army with our original music. Um, and so I, he's immediately came to mind as somebody that I wanted to partner with and, and sort of strategize with and plan and, and take meetings and say, all right, you know, Greg, I'm going to do this project. Um, can you give me some, some advice? Can you mentor me? He's been an example of a, a local politician who has, um, to be honest with you, you know, Greg's met with me five or six times to talk about this program. Yeah. And, uh, he's met with me on his own time, you know, completely gone out of his way to have meetings with me in Chapel Hill or uh, here in Raleigh. And uh, he's always made himself available because he is the type of Democrat that we need to see um, mm-hmm. across the state. He's super uh, hip to the, to, the, to the things that need to happen in terms of um, engaging first-time and young voters. He is uh, a super... Uh, super good, uh, super great advocate for, you know, the direction that the party needs to go in. He understands that, uh, you know, the future is a, a more progressive democratic party. So somebody like him, for example, has been, been, you know, heavily bought into a program like this calling 100 counties uh, program and has made himself extremely available to, to me to talk about how we can really kick butt with a program like this. So, so far over the show, we've been talking about the things that you're doing with NC Love Army with calling 100 counties. And a lot of it has been centered around let's help, let's help push some, um, some of our representatives further to the left. Mm-hmm. Do you have any concerns about, cause in this past election, a lot of people we were talking about Republicans going over and voting Democrat because they didn't want to vote for Trump or things like that. People who were generally in the middle going to another side. Do you worry that, pushing a candidate further to the left would alienate the people who are looking for someone more in the middle who are already on the fence about whether or not they want to vote Democrat? It's a great question. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. We have a two-party system, right? Um, do I think it's ideal? Absolutely not. Um, but in terms of, you know, where we are and looking at reality on the ground, um, I think that the best solution for progressives at this point to be viable um, in the short term is to infiltrate the Democratic Party and to use the Democratic Party as a vehicle, um, use its existing infrastructure to run for office, to push our issues and our candidates. Do I think that moving the Democratic Party to the left is going to alienate folks who are looking for a centrist platform to get behind. In short, I think that's the problem. I think that the Democratic Party has tried to position itself too far to the middle and too too much in a, in a moderate place of uh, centrism. And I think, and there's a lot of data that backs this up, um, but I think what it's done and what we saw in the last election with so much losing from the Democratic Party, 
I think that the Democratic Party hasn't provided a clear enough contrast to the Republican Party. I think that the Democratic Party um, is actually, you know, the sort of the opposite concern, Fionn, is that if the Democratic Party was farther to the left, it would be able to more immediately give people a clear distinction between itself and the Republicans. So, you know, and, and also I think you mentioned the last election, the Democratic Party didn't seem to be for as many things officially in a mainstream establishment Democratic Party context as it was against the vision on the right. And so, um, you know, it's anyone's guess, but I think if you look at data and you look at trends and you look some good, you know, think pieces on it, it's my opinion that, uh, that no, I think if we, if we can get candidates to come out and really clearly support more progressive uh, positions, mm-hmm. I think it's going to increase uh, turnout for, for the Democratic Party. I think it's going to help the Democratic Party win okay. um, and draw a clearer distinction between themselves and the Republicans. A lot of the different subjects you've been talking about, too, has been about educating the public about who they're voting for, you know, getting out the vote, but earlier. And, and reach- helping the, the public educate le- uh, candidates. Right. And also reaching out to people in counties that may not have as much access to their candidates. So I know we've been talking about helping the Democratic Party win, but how is this also helping, you know, our political system as a whole? Uh, <laughs> dive a little bit deeper into that. Well, as far as you're you're reaching out to all these other counties and all these other people, how do you feel that making things more accessible to people is also helping not only Democrats, you know, because Just our listeners whole... are very diverse sure, yeah, listener groups. Yeah. So how is this helping everybody? Okay, so I think that if you look at promoting dialogue and promoting engagement, promoting discourse and just getting people involved in the process, it's never bad. It's And it's especially, you know, it, of course, I'm talking about doing it in a context of progressive issues and candidates. But, you know, to your point, if you want to look at the whole political spectrum, you know, um, I'm sure that on the other side of the proverbial aisle, anyone could employ the things that I'm talking about doing for whatever their, you know, respective uh, beliefs and, and issues are. Mm-hmm. So if you've got centrist um, folks or, or folks on the on the right who um, look at some of the work that, that my organization's done and in terms of um, advocacy and some of the things that we've talked about here today, this is a model for sustained engagement that could really be applied by anyone. It's just sort of us raising our hands and saying, well, we really need this in our little corner of the political uh, universe. But it's totally something that I would argue, um, and, and a great question, is uh, it's necessary to just improve the whole climate, the whole landscape. You know, what what's going to happen from more dialogue, from more community engagement, from more bodies at rallies, more bodies at uh, campaign events, you know, more educated minds thinking about affecting change locally and statewide. I think that there's nothing bad that can come out of that, you know, and um, anybody has the right to, to sort of access these ideas. And this is this is our democratic process. And I'm, I use the word democratic in a nonpartisan way. <laughs> yeah. you know, this is our system. Yeah, yeah. And this is just us saying, hey, you know, uh, back in, in Boston and in, in the 1770s, you know, this, <laughs> this was par for the course. You know, this type of community activism and community engagement and, and citizens and people 
that you know have any kind of platform or or, or no platform at all outside of their you know their friend base. Um, that this is the 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 ideal that sort of uh, our our government is is founded on is that you know people need to have a, a it's a participatory you know democracy that we have here. So I think um, if you take the partisanship out of it and you look at just the the relationships we're trying to foster between um, the the candidates that we're trying to see emerge on uh, the progressive side of, of things, that's a uh, that's a model as I said earlier that I think you know and everyone should use. I mean I would encourage um, anyone on the right or in the middle to to try to do this this type of work because it's effective. So. So to preface my next question, you are a white male, correct? Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Okay, so <laughs> just just wanted to make that clear because they they can't see you. So for all for all they know, I could be lying. But um, <laughs> um, so a lot of the issues that you've talked about with voter suppression and equal rights and things like that, they don't directly affect you as an individual, but you hold an administrative position in this really big group that has the power. Um, the, the NC Music Love Army. Mm-hmm. Um. To, has the power to affect change in those issues. How do you balance um, having a position of power in a group that is trying to enact change with being a good ally and a good listener to communities that are directly affected by the issues that you're working to change? So, you know, taking it back to where where this all began with the Love Army, mm-hmm. you know, we... Um, Though we have some artists like myself who who are, are white, you know, and who um, uh, you know maybe look like me, we we began advocating uh, the basically the platform of the Forward Together Moral Monday movement that the NAACP under Reverend Dr. William Barber was spearheading out there on on Halifax 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 Mall. I told you my coffee ink kicked in all the way. Uh. Um, so, you know, <laughs> if you look at the very first thing we did, we said, hey, we're, let, let's sit down with, uh, with Yara Allen and, um, and Reverend Barber at the NAACP and uh, Laurel Ashton and uh, our, our friends over there at that organization. Let's look at what their messaging is and was at the time. And we said, we, great, messaging, you've solved for messaging. You know, the, uh, the African-American community at the time raised its hand and said, we're going to be the leaders in this movement, you know. They said, we're the ones that are going to fight for LGBT issues. We're going to fight for equal pay. We're going to fight against gerrymandering. We're going to fight against voter suppression. Uh, we're going to a- uh, fight against um, uh, this ridiculous big money in politics. You know, The entire platform that I want to see come about, um, these are issues. And in 2013, the NAACP, they were out ahead um, right there on the sort of, you know, they were the lead right out, out there on the front. Um, of this entire platform. And so, you know, my, to your question, my, my artist friends and I, we said, look, we don't need to, at this moment in time, you know, back then in 2013, we don't need to drive messaging in terms of um, what's the platform. These guys are over here and they're, they're killing it. You know, they're leading successful five, 6,000 person rallies out here. Um, but beyond that, you know, sort of galvanizing the attention of the national news media and the international news media to, uh, to have these issues come out of North Carolina, reverberate around the nation, and then sort of come back here. And so we said, wow, that sort of fusion politics that the NAACP um, was building, you know, bringing um, th- that sort of uh, inter-organizational collaboration where you have like, I mean, you look out on that mall and you've got like the Jewish coalition, you've got just the, the uh, 
the Muslim coalition, you have all these great groups from across the state who would be out there at Moral Mondays and rallying under the banner of fusion politics where all these groups that you would traditionally think, what do they have in common, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we're coming together to support one platform, all under the leadership of the NAACP. So we said, all right, we don't need to spend our time as a sort of, um, at the time, you know, we weren't like, didn't have the sort of administrative like program and project component that we do now. Uh, we were just saying, how do we make these cool protest songs and what are they going to be about? You know, we didn't sit there and say like, oh gosh, you know, we've got we've to come up with the messaging ourselves. We just looked at this great work that was being done and we said, no, we want to amplify it. We want to be your amplifier. We want to take songs that are about uh, issues that you guys are already highlighting and so successfully and we want to enforce everything you're already saying with songs and push them through, you know, uh, more mainstream channels of distribution and promotion. So if you look at that and sort of where we began, um, that's the spirit of, of what we're still doing today. Um, the song that we just played about Lennon Lacey, the, the song that uh, we started with about, you know, sort of the NCGOP, these songs to this day and our efforts to this day um, continue to bring people in who are not, you know, all look like me, you know, and, um, and to lead with those stories, with those issues, to listen, you know, to say this NC Music Love Army, this isn't Caitlin Carey and John Lindsay and a couple other people that you know who we sit around and say, no, these are the issues, these are the songs, these are the stories. We always were uh, like a, a people in a community first organization, and we are now, that says, you know, everybody's welcome. This is a, an organization that supports a movement that's a people's thing. The movement's a people's thing. Our organization is a people's thing. So that's, that's where we are today with this Calling 100 Counties program. It's um, I'm going to basically build out a database that's going to uh, let artists and bands of groups come to me and say, we want to participate in calling 100 counties. Here's where we're based. Here's the issues that we care about. And then based on that, as the sort of program administrator and program manager, uh, the Love Army would not say, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to sing about. Here's the issues. We would basically say, okay, here are the candidates in, in, who've announced, you know, as part of the slate of candidates in the, the election, whether that's 2017 or much more likely 2018. We say, all right, we're here to be a conduit. We're, we're going to foster this relationship. We're going to pair up this candidate with this campaign, and we're going to let them run wild at that point. We're going to put, you know, those folks together and suggest um, a pairing based on what did this artist uh, tell us they care about and then, and, and where are they based? And then once we can sort of form a relationship between a, a campaign, a candidate and a cause and an artist in some part of North Carolina, um, then it's my sort of mission to get out of the way of that relationship and let the dialogue and the discourse begin there at the local level. That's sort of the whole crux of this idea is that, you know, folks where they sit are going to be able to own this relationship and make it whatever they feel it needs to be. Whatever the dialogue, you know, say rural Eastern North Carolina, if folks are like really fired up, rightfully so, about, um, you know, animal rights and environmental justice with the hog farms and stuff like that, you know, if that's the issue that a group comes to me and says, this is our issue, we really were an environment 
first, you know, band or group or whatever, that's what we want to be involved with, then um, maybe it's not a candidate that we pair them with, but we say, look, your focus issue in your county in Eastern North Carolina, say New Hanover, whatever county, you are the environmental justice group from this area. That's your issue. Run with it. Drive that messaging. If you're not paired directly with the campaign or a candidate, then, you know, in your area, push that message out however you can across whatever channels you have and let that be the needle that you're trying to move. So really we're just here to provide information, make suggestions and to, you know, bring artists together with politicians and causes uh, and would be politicians. Um, But we're not trying to shape what the conversation is. We're trying to act as a conduit, a facilitator, administrative organization, which I think is, is really great, right? It definitely is. You're listening to the Oak City Move. My name is Fionn. My name's Sarah. And we've been speaking with John Lindsay from the NC Music Love Army about a new project they're working on, Calling 100 Counties, which is going to pair artists with legislators and representatives to give voice not only to the people and educate the people about what's going on, but also educating legislators about legislators about what the people want. And so we're going to listen to one more song. This next one is called North Carolina, We're Better Than This from Snooze. And can you give us some background on this song? Yeah, so this is another song off the 2013 debut record, We Are Not For Sale, uh, the initial 10-song offering by the Love Army in 2013. This is uh, Britt Harper Uzel, or the legendary Snooze. Uh, He brought this song into the fold, and then we put some great all-star folks uh, behind him on the track to to back him up. It's one of my favorite songs off this record. I do just, real quick before you play, I want to give a shout-out to uh, State Senator Jay Chaudhry, who's listening to this show and uh, who wants to set up a meeting to talk about calling 100 counties. So, <gasps> yeah, awesome. That's, that's uh, so Oak City Move making Oak City moves right there. <laughs> I like uh, that. He says, thanks for all you do. So thanks for all you guys do. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. coming on, John. And stay tuned. We're going to be back to speak with John a little bit more about what's coming up next for him. And then we're going to have William Thomas. He's here in the studio with us to talk about his project and event that's going on this weekend in Raleigh at the Anchor Light called Bricks Need Mortar. And so stick around. This song is called North Carolina, We're Better Than This from the NC Music Love Army. Ow, ow! So Sarah, what's our show going to be about? Really cool stuff. No, really. Oh. The Oak City Move is a series exploring NC-based organizations who enact positive change, especially for underserved or marginalized communities. The show features interviews, stories on relevant local events, and live performances from artists who inspire and empower. If you'd like to get involved or make a content suggestion, email oakcitymove at gmail.com. To listen, tune in Fridays from 9 to 11 a.m. or catch the podcast at oakcitymove.tumblr.com. WKNC 88.1. That song you just heard was from the NC Music Love Army featuring Snooze called North Carolina, We're Better Than This. And you're listening to the Oak City Move. We're here every Friday from 9 to 11. This is our third show, so it's been going pretty well so far. If you missed the other weeks, you can check out our blog. It is oakcitymove.tumblr.com, or you can go to WKNC's website. And again, you can, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, you can either 
It's week. Oh, it's our fourth week. Yeah, it's our fourth week. Wow, I just thought about that. Yeah, this flying. is our fourth week. We've been doing this for a month. Oh my god! Amazing. I do want to congratulate wild. you guys, by the way, on Thank that because this is a really vital program. This is like from one dude trying to create a vital program to some other people trying to do the same. I really I recognize what you're doing. It's super so super much. needed. So. Thank you. And Congratulations. What we, what we are doing, if you've never tuned in before, we are a show that aims to highlight. Organizations and individuals who are enacting change in our communities, making positive impacts with big ideas, and we really wanted a solutions journalism approach. And we also highlight artists and musicians who are empowering, calling attention to cultural competency, and inspiring others. And our artist this week is going to be William Thomas. He's got an event going on this weekend called Bricks Need Mortar. So we'll be speaking to him about some of his work and everything. And so far, we've been here speaking with John Lindsay about his project, Calling 100 Counties. So, John, if we want to get involved with Calling 100 Counties, what do we do? So I would say the first thing to do is like all the the usual uh, cheesy stuff, you know, get connected with the Love Army, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. Um, Feel free to get acquainted with where we've been and the work that we've done. As we mentioned earlier, there's like 13 releases out there with tons of songs that we've put out uh, that are issue-based and uh, and needed and necessary and feature a very diverse, very vibrant uh, cross-section of artists that are from North Carolina, highlighting uh, issues by North Carolinians for North Carolinians. So I would say tune in with the, with where we've been and what we've done if you're unfamiliar with our work and um, and then stand by because I think in the coming weeks and uh, and months uh, sooner rather than later uh, we're going to be able to to roll out um, some calls to action some specific uh, asks that we're going to have for folks to we're going to be coming to people and saying look hey this program is really going to going to help drive uh, those two areas the moving the the party a little bit to a more progressive de- destination and also driving sustained engagement. So if people are, are tuned into us, they're definitely not going to miss what we're working on uh, statewide. So I would just urge folks to, to, uh, to connect with the Love Army. Digitally and physically, we're easy to find. Nice. And then so for your music, where can we find that? So the cool thing about that is, you know, we took this North Carolina issue-based music and we recorded it and we push it through itunes spotify all the usual places nice. uh, physically in record stores you can go down to school kids and buy you know we're not for sale and um that was sort of our focus you know initially was like let's use these um you know m- sort of more mainstream musical channels to push this unconventional uh content mm-hmm. and uh we've we've really seen that it's successful that if you, if you, you know, in terms of just the music, if you, uh, if you make, um, you know, original protest music for lack of a better term, um, (laughs) if you make it well enough and you give people a voice who are already inspired and who are already, you know, making great work in their own corner of the community, if you give them a platform and you put that music, um, on a, you know, in a traditional format, you know, record it and push it with, Uh, public relations campaigns and things like that through you know stations like this stations like um kexp out west you know and all across the country and you know push it through you know college radio and and uh the music press and all these sort of um you know just the mainstream music press and like how you push a a a non-political you know piece of music 
we sort of uh, we've gone through those channels and we've seen that it's tremendously um, successful that, you know, people aren't turned off by like, oh, what is this woke <laughs> music, you know, doing on my on my on my radio? You know, people are yeah. like, no, wow, you're singing about fracking <laughs> in a pop song, you know, or or, <laughs> you know, you got Pierce Freeland and Charlotte Ammons and and uh, all these like alt country artists paired up with them on like one hip hop track to talk about standing against HP two. Like what <laughs> people have been like really receptive to that in mainstream uh, sectors, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like, you know, what we've found out and, uh, and we've been running with it ever since. So, you know, I think that's what you see with, um, you know, the candidacy of Bernie Sanders and folks like, you know, Elizabeth Warren, the real, pro- you know, progressive sort of leaders right now, have shown us that there's absolutely an appetite out there for, um, you know, bluer and bluer progressive values to really infiltrate, you know, pop culture and and mainstream media, mainstream culture, you know? So we, we believe in that and, um, you know, we, uh, we're going to continue to rock it out in those areas. So. And finally, John, if there was, something that you wish what is something that you wish everybody knew you could speak to any community of people what would it be i think that you know it's that you you can't can't afford to give up you know you can't afford to uh for whatever the reason you know take a pass on being engaged in the process you know and if you if you give up your right to participate in this democracy, then to bring it all back home uh, to what we talked about earlier, somebody else is going to take your seat. Somebody else is going to take your voice. Somebody else is going to come in and lobby on your behalf, but for all, all the things that, 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 that are not representative of you. So, you know, if, if you, if you choose to, to take a pass on participating in the process, I, I think that's, the biggest mistake that you could make. Uh, so if I had to leave people with one sort of overarching sentiment, it would be that, you know, you got to be involved. Um, folks who say, oh, I don't do politics. You know, I just, I don't, I don't do that. You know, well, you do, because if you're not going to be engaged in the process, then that's saying something. And whether you realize it or not, your silence speaks volumes. So, you know, if you're going to stand down, you're going to check your voice at the door. You just need to be aware of the fact that there are lobbying organizations. There are, you know, entities and voices out there who, um, you know, unfortunately have much more of a voice than, than one person does. Um, so your silence is only going to amplify those other voices. Um, and in order for this, you know, republic to work, we've, we've got to have all the voices at the table. You know, and I think that, you know, you mentioned earlier the importance of, um, of stressing that KNC is, you know, it's a nonpartisan, um, uh, radio station. And of course, you know, I recognize the value of, of discourse with folks who have extremely differing views and opinions than I do. Right. I just think that, um, it's a reality that folks who, um, who have those differing opinions right now, at least in most instances, tend to be really funded, <laughs> tend to be really lawyered up and doing a ton of lobbying and they're not having a hard time finding their power source and they're, and they're um, not having a hard time connecting with folks. You know, we, we just uh, saw some 
success with uh, with Josh Stein and Roy Cooper and some Democratic um, judges, um, you know, hap- happening here with the, the recent election. But, you know, we just came out of a, a, a supermajority when we had Pat McCrory in both houses of, of Congress here and the state legislature. Um, so I don't think that, that certain folks are having a hard time making their voice heard. I think, unfortunately, um, we have legislators who've been able to pick their voters, you know, who through gerrymandering, who through lob- lobbying, you know, who through taking advantage of big money and um, sort of the, the unfortunate aspects of, of the system right now have been able to uh, exert too much power and too much voice, you know? So I, I would definitely, you know, to, to, to bring it all back home, I would just say, you got to stand up. You got to say something. Um, you've got to participate. Um, otherwise, you know, we're, we're all going to suffer. Everything so. you do is political, including not doing anything at all. Grab your wallet too. That's, that's another <laughs> thing I would say to people, you know, let your, let your, uh, uh, let your wallet speak. For, for your values. Put your money where, where your mouth is. Yeah. So you've been listening to the Oak City Move. My name's Fionn. My name's Sarah. And we've had John Lindsay here. Coming up next, we're going to be speaking to William Paul Thomas about some of his art, the meanings behind it, and his event this weekend at the Anchor Light, which is a new gallery and multimedia space in Southeast Raleigh. And the event is called Bricks Need Mortar. This last song we've got for you from John is called Is This Here What Jesus Would Do? And it <laughs> is from the NC Music Love Army. Any background you want to give us on that? Oh, this has uh, just a bunch of great people on it. Um, it's a, a, a song of mine from the debut record. It's got uh, The Love Language, uh, Michael Rank from Stag and Snatches of Pink, uh, it's the American Aquarium guys, BJ and, and Kevin and Wit, uh, some of those guys, uh, my friend Slade from Amigo, too many people to, to even think of. Django Haskins from the old ceremony. Caitlin Carey, co-founder of the NC Music Love Army, is on this track uh, as well with me and a, a bunch of other folks. Got a, a gang vocal in the chorus, sing along with a bunch of people around a mic in one room. I think there's like 20, 25 people in total on this song, so I thought it was a good uh, good way to close this out. It also closes the A-side on the debut record, so it's a, the last song on We Are Not For Sales, A-side. And if you want to listen to any NC Music Love Army music later on, you can go to ncmusicloveArmy.bandcamp.com. Or ncmusicloveArmy.org. Uh, and you can, as we mentioned earlier, also follow us on all the normal social media spots. This next song is from John Lindsay. It is called, Is This Here What Jesus Would Do? You're listening to the Oak City Move on WKNC. WKNC 88.1. That song you just heard was from Kay Trinata. It was called, Got It Good. And before that, you heard John Lindsay with, Is This Here What Jesus Would Do? And we'd been speaking with John Lindsay for this morning, and he's been talking about calling 100 counties through the NC Love Army. And that project is something that you can check out online at the ncmusicloveArmy.org. And what they're doing is they are pairing legislators with musicians and other artists to help get the messages from the campaigns across to the people and educate the people and also advocate for people to the legislators with the musicians as kind of a middleman. So advocating for the people and to the people. And coming up next, we have William Paul Thomas here. Hi, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, again, thanks, because oh, I met Will <laughs> last night at De Facto Thespians <laughs> album release listening party, which, by the way... 
I hope you're keeping an eye out on DeFacto Thespian. He played the Double Barrel last year, I believe, and this new stuff is amazing. It's going to blow your mind. So keep an eye out and hoping to have him on the show soon, too. But that's where I met Will, and I was just like, hey, what you doing tomorrow morning? (laughs) So he came on, and I'm so glad that you could make it here. So give us a little background on who you are, what you do, and I know you came from Chicago, and now you've been based here. So give us a little background on yourself. Before I get into my uh, backstory, can we say the title of uh, De Facto Thespians uh, album? Is that okay? Yeah, Burgund- yeah. Burg- Burgundy, Burgundy Skylines. Skylines. Yeah, that that was amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, his whole background <laughs> on why he named it that. I'm I don't know how much we're allowed to say, but I. Can we at least say that it was incredible? Like it was incredible. Like when does it come <laughs> out? Do you guys know? He says sometime in March, hopefully, uh, but he doesn't have a date yet. have to wait. <laughs> yep, you're just going to have to wait. I just, I just wanted to uh, plug that because I, I was just really impressed and also honored to have been a part of that li- mm-hmm. listening session. So uh, shout out to uh, the facto thespian. Like, great work, man. And uh, how, how did you meet him? So I met him when I was doing a residency in, uh, at Power Plant Gallery in Durham at American Tobacco Campus uh, last June. So I was inviting uh, black men to come to the gallery, actually men and women, uh, to come and sit in front of my camera to smile uh, for as long as they could before it got uncomfortable. Um, so he was one of the guys that came through. We had an event one night and a number of people from around the triangle came uh, and supported that event. So I first met him there and we had been keeping in touch. I tried to keep him abreast of the events that I had going on and he uh, let me know that he had a listening session last night. Um, so that's how we first met. And so, um, again, ab- about my background, um, I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. Um, I was born there and lived there till I was 11 years old and moved later moved to Wisconsin with my mom and sisters uh, to Beloit, Wisconsin, which is on the southeastern, uh, northeastern Illinois uh, state line. And so uh, I went to high school, middle school and college in Wisconsin and moved down to North Carolina for graduate school at UNC Chapel Hill. So um, I went to UNC for my Master of Fine Arts in Studio Art. So my primary practice is in painting, but also experiment with uh, photography. I, I draw and do a number of other kind of visual arts uh, mediums or incorporate <laughs> another, a number of different things into my visual arts practice. Tell me about some of the, the themes that you tend to incorporate into your, your art, especially your painting. So as of late is uh, sort of been a deviation from what I had done for years, which was portrait work. And so a lot of my paintings uh, had been early on, especially when I got into painting, paintings of big faces of people that I knew. So whether it was classmates or family members or strangers, uh, they were big, uh, dramatically lit images, uh, oil paintings of uh, familiar faces. And so as of late, the project that I've been working on has been a little bit more personal in that it is a a way for me to reflect on my own personal family history. So uh, when I lived in Chicago uh, with my mom and sisters from 1990 to 96, uh, we lived in a in a public housing community called Agel Gardens on the far south side. Um, And I'm sure like many uh, public housing uh, communities, the interior of that um, of our our unit was exposed cinder block and so the time for the time that we lived in that apartment my mom chose to paint the entire interior of that space bright pink um so the project i'm doing now is sort of uh honoring her uh 
doing some interior decorating to a space that um, where I'm sure it was against the rules, but a, a way to sort of make our living space uh, that much warmer and pleasant, um, even though it was meant to be sort of a living there as sort of a temporary transitional kind of uh, residence. Uh, she saw fit to beautify it in that way, putting her own personal touch on it. So I abstracted or, or isolated from that experience a single uh, pink cinder block. I used to have, I used to rent a studio in Chapel Hill and I found a, a gray cinder block outside the space that I was renting and I spray painted it bright pink and I recorded me spray painting it. Um, and so I've carried that object with me, I think almost three years now and have documented it in different places, uh, photographed it, uh, drawn it. Um, I've even gone so far as to invite other people to make their own versions of this pink cinder block. So, um, and in most cases, the people that have, um, responded to that request or uh, to that prompt don't have any idea what or didn't have any idea what the um, origin of it was mm -hmm. so as far as they knew it was just some strange um, artsy request <laughs> from a, a friend or a stranger and um, they saw fit to to respond to it and so I made a tumblr page where those images that people submitted <laughs> could reside so um the versions that that you see on the Tumblr page, which is hotpinkbrick.tumblr.com, um, are they range from photos to drawings to videos uh, to animated gifs or gifs, if you prefer. Uh, um, gifs. Gifs. Thank you. Thank you for saying gif. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it exists there. Uh, you can see the work in person or the work is available to see in person at Anchor Light now. So my own responses to creating this object and reflecting on my family history, as I said, is manifested in the form of paintings and photographs. And so it's on display at Anchor Light. Prior to this um, exhibition at Anchor Light, it was on display at uh, Room 100 in uh, Golden Belt Artist Studios in Durham. And so I connected with uh, Mike Williams, who is the creator of Arts Now NC. Mm -hmm. um, he met Shelly Smith and found out that Anchor Light hadn't shown any work there yet and, and thought that it would be a great idea for me to transfer what I had shown in Durham over here to Raleigh at, uh, at Anchor Light. Um, so uh, big thanks to Shelly Smith and Mike Williams both for allowing that to happen and, and facilitating that. And could you tell everyone where Anchor Light is? Anchor Light is, the address is 1401 South uh, Bloodworth Street. And that is out in Southeast Raleigh, just a little bit south of downtown, walking distance. So it's right, right by there, and it's cool to see some things moving out further from downtown, art and everything like that. And could you give us some background? You were talking about your mother and how she was decorating that apartment. It sounds awesome. She sounds like an amazing woman. Tell us about some of the influence that she's had on your work. I think absolutely in this project, she's uh, her influence is major in that if she hadn't painted the walls the way she did, um, I wouldn't have pursued this project. And so um, also what she also did was collect, like I'm sure a lot of people do, uh, collect family photos. And she, uh, the family photo album that I have of hers that I need to return to her um, <laughs> is dated 1992. And she, if that's accurate, uh, she started collecting pictures then and maybe before then and added is pictures of us and um, family, other family and friends. And 
I guess me being able to go back and look at these pictures that she had taken, that she, uh, her way of collecting these memories has had an impact on the way that I see see the world in that I'm always trying to uh, find ways to, I guess, carry forward or retain the things that I love about life, that I love about people around me. And you look through these pictures and it's, uh, I guess, all those memories come uh, flooding back. And I think sometimes I don't trust my own memory. And looking at those, looking at those pictures kind of allow me to access memories that I might other might not otherwise be able to access. Um, so I'm sure that that pink wall, the pink walls throughout that apartment had a particular impact on me. I can't say for sure what that was, but I do feel like it has had some uh, some sort of impression, made an impression on me as an artist, as someone whose primary interest is in um, visual artifacts and creating these uh, and sort of exploiting these visual phenomena. And so I guess whether or not she meant that to result in one of her children becoming an artist (laughs) um, is one is one thing. But I think definitely I I think about her exercising the autonomy to uh, beautify her living space that way. Right. Like Mm -hmm. because especially if something is is against the rules or uh, not sanctioned, like that you don't wait for somebody else's permission to. do what you have to do to make your your own space livable or to do something for a loved one that um, you think is going to change their experience for the better. And so that's something that I think I I try to do within my, my intimate relationships with people is to try to be very intentional about what their needs are, whether it's uh, re- related to art or not, but try to honor who they are and what they need and not just sort of uh, rely on some kind of stereotype of what I think uh, people need to sort of uh, when, when it comes to care, caring for one another. And so I, I think that's something that I get from my mother for sure um, is, is a kind of compassion for, for your loved ones and doing something. And, and that's what the title of the show essentially is, right? Bricks need mortar is an analogy for, the things that people do uh, for each other or with each other to sort of solidify their bonds between between one another. So um, just living in close proximity to someone doesn't necessarily create a bond or a friendship or family. And so like thinking about all the things that people can do um, in unison or the memories that we share that uh, add up to a, a a solidified community that that equal solidarity and so um that's that's something i continue i continually think about all my mother's efforts in that way to keep our family together and how i can sort of project that out onto my other relationships into the world what can we expect from the bricks need mortar event this weekend what time should we be there what's going on yeah, so uh today the work is viewable. Um, I believe until 5 p.m. Uh, the gallery can be open. I can be there. Um, Shelly Smith may be able to be there. But tomorrow um, you can see the work, but there's also going to be a screening of uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, 13th. And so uh, from 4 to 7 p.m. is when the screening is going to happen. So before that, I'm going to just briefly talk about my work um, and we're going to go right into the screening. And uh, I think Raleigh Pact is going to be there uh, or is kind of co-sponsoring the event. And so uh, 
definitely that'll be happening from four to seven tomorrow. Then that'll be the last day of the installation uh, there. And I hope to maybe do some other iteration of this work or, uh, and I'll continue to show my work, you know, as, as often as, as possible in the area. So if folks are interested, uh, my personal website or my professional website is uh, <laughs> williampaulthomas.com. And so you can see my work there. Uh, another place where you can follow updates about this work or other work that I do is uh, through social media. And so my Instagram and Twitter handles are Will Art for food so will art and the number four food are all one uh term what is the significance of the film that you're showing tomorrow so um i think through a conversation with uh mike williams and i think this is something that he brought to the table was the idea about like what what were the connections to the work that i was making to these larger kind of social issues um one image that was that is not on display at Anchor Light that was on display at Golden Belt was an image of my stepfather. And it's an image of him sort of posed in front of a, uh, a blue cinder block wall. And the without the context, um, you might just assume that this, the, and the title was that it was Tony at work. My stepfather is, uh, is, is Anthony and the title I gave it was Tony at work. But it, where Tony actually is, is in, in prison at the time that the photo was taken. And it was an image that he sent to my um mother um around the early 90s and i included that image and they were it was opposite an image of me and my two sisters standing in front of our pink cinder block wall at home and so i just sort of drew a thread between um the internal architecture of the places that we happened to live where we lived and he lived for um the time that he was incarcerated and so this issue of mass incarceration, I think we there's a lot of conversation, thankfully, about that um, circulating in the world right now. But um, for me, I'm always interested in the really specific kind of uh, individualized experiences, like what is the impact that mass incarceration has on individual families? And so certainly, I guess, with my uh, stepfather being subject to that and other uh, members of my family or community having been subject to that system um, it, it allows for me to re reflect on a on the kind of systematic um, injustices uh, but also circumstances that we um, we try to shield ourselves from or we can try to avoid, but one way or another, they end us end up impacting us, you know, whether or not we have a relative that's incarcerated. Right. And so I think with, with her film about like this connection between um, enslavement and the supposed end of um, enslavement in the United States to transitioning to um, laws that prohibited black people from being able to exercise again like autonomy and liberty is the same way that other uh members of american society uh were able to experience uh yeah through black codes and jim crow and now mass incarceration i think it's it's certainly a, a connection there between uh i think me considering my own family's history specifically looking at my stepfather um, and and this sort of the way that black men and women have been impacted by this uh, over the course of American history. So you mentioned earlier that you had a project previously where you took pictures of 
black men and women smiling for as long as they could. Can you talk a little bit about that project and its significance? Yeah. Um, so I think this project started around uh, 2014. I had a show at uh, Carrick Modern Art with my friend Antoine Williams, another uh, great artist. Um, and I think we had a conversation that summer about wanting to do some video work together. And so uh, I thought of a segue from the painting work that I was doing, painting these big faces and instead of painting, making recordings of people and the, the sort of change or the, the switch between the paintings and the video work was that usually my paintings, people aren't ever smiling. Yeah. Right. Like they're usually some kind of uh, more pensive kind of expression that they wear. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the, the smiling project, which is called teeth, T E T E E F. Um, it was a way to kind of contrast uh, those two bodies of work, right? And so, and also another way to see, a way for us to think about how we see black men, right? Um, represented in popular media or el- elsewhere, is it images of them smiling? And if they are smiling, is it a menacing smile? Uh, so it was a way to upend that. And so in addition to you seeing images of them smiling, they're also talking about uh, moments of happiness. But the narratives that you hear on the video are sort of uh they've been jumbled so that you're never you're rarely looking at the person whose voice you're hearing Mm -hmm. um and so maybe you make assumptions about whose story you're hearing based on the way that they look um and it was a a really uh great way for me to engage with people and and just kind of inquire about the specific things that uh, they get joy out of right and and not just like the generic kind of answers that you might get to a prompt like that and maybe especially to a stranger a lot of times when i uh engage with uh people with that prompt especially people who i was meeting for the first time it would start with some selfless thing like uh taking care of my kids or providing for my family some something that was sort of noble and i appreciated that but then i wanted them to go a step further and share something that was maybe maybe could be considered more selfish but was just more uh, maybe idiosyncratic about like uh, there's people. T- one of my friends, um, he shared about playing video games as a kid and his uh, him and his uh, cousin betting graham crackers when they were playing like <laughs> Madden or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that, that was the kind of stuff that I wanted to pull out because it was it was that much more relatable. Like, I think everyone relates to the noble things that we aspire to when it comes to caregiving or uh, providing for our communities. But. I think there's something, there's some power in owning the things that you get joy out of that don't necessarily add up to you being an upstanding uh, citizen or father. Is There's there's more there, and I, that's what I wanted to get out of that project. And that's what I was doing at, uh, at Power Plant in June. So for you personally, you know, with this project, you were talking about the way that the media portrays black men often. And then before that, you were talking about the impact that mass incarceration can have on families. Mm-hmm. What kind of impact has these things had on you? You've overcome a lot of obstacles and you've been, you've got, gone to grad school at UNC, everything. <laughs> what kind of obstacles have you had to overcome and how have they affected you? Right. I think when I consider it, I have a tough time sometimes thinking about that uh, in that in some ways I feel like I've had it easy, which is weird to say if I'm telling you that part of my background is having lived in this you know housing project for the period that we did. But I guess I'm really grateful for a family that includes not only my my mother, but my grandmother and uncles and aunts and uh, our extended family. Um, so 
I think I recognize the the sort of pitfalls or obstacles that are out there, but I guess the way that I see that I've made it as far as I have is because of people that were there supporting me all along the way in in a number of different ways, whether that's like in the form of babysitting or taking me to some something that I wouldn't have gotten a chance to go to uh, otherwise. And so um, I think the kind of nurturing that can happen in communities has allowed me to circumvent like obstacles that maybe other people um, get stopped up, but get tripped up by um, is, is really, I think the, the one thing that I point to that's sort of an individual thing that maybe people can relate to is um, my my own father uh, has definitely been a part of my life, but not to the extent that my um, my mother has. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've grown up with a lot of sort of resentment um, about that, about their circumstance. But as I get older and start to understand, I guess, interpersonal relationships, romantic relationships, yeah. I'm more I tend to be more forgiving mm-hmm. about whatever um, sort of absence, um, be it temporary or long term yeah. that I've experienced. So I think in terms of an obstacle there, sometimes I cite that as a thing that if if they had been together throughout my life. Um, or throughout my growing up, that maybe I would be a little bit further ahead or something if I had a two two parent ha- household yeah. on a consistent basis. Um, so that's that's an obstacle that I cite. That sometimes I feel like is, I don't know. I think people do just fine if depending on um, whether you have a single mother or father, um, as long as there's uh, a certain amount of uh, nurturing and care provided to um, the children in those homes. And so mine. I'm I'm less I'm I tend less to like talk about the things that I haven't had and more to focus on uh, why I'm able to achieve what I what I have and that's because of the the amazing support the structure that I've had throughout my life. Yeah, and then so I mean you're a visual artist. Um, do you have any words of wisdoms for artists out there that you know they're trying to catch their break, especially artists that. Um, you know, I mean, as a, a black man, like that's like you're not usually seen as like, you know, the sensitive type who's going to be making art and things <laughs> like that. I mean, like going back to those stereotypes that you right. have in the media. Um, so what would you say to people that are having a hard time, you know, trying to catch that yeah. break? I think embrace your individuality for one. I th- that was funny about like not the sensitive type and that being a stereotype about black men is that I'm I'm super sensitive, maybe a little bit more sensitive <laughs> than I than I should be. But um in addition to embracing who you are as an artist, I think take time to appreciate other people's work and pay attention to sort of how people are achieving the things that they are. Right. So in very practical terms, if there's a gallery that you want to show in or a space that you like to show in, um, maybe find out who the artists who are that have shown in those spaces mm-hmm. and who they talk to to get into those spaces. Yeah. Um, what the process is and so start to build relationships with uh, the people that you want to align yourself with introduce yourself let them know what you do and and be genuine about I think engaging with people in a way that's not just sort of not totally self-serving I mean yeah. obviously in our individual practices we want to get ahead but I think be genuine about engaging with other people's work and their interests and not just sort of about what I can get out of a relationship. Um, but I think showing up is a big part of it um, and paying attention to what's happening. But I think 
last night was a perfect example is that I came to hear Raheem's music and, and we um, we got to talk about the possibility of me doing a radio interview the next day. And so I think don't neglect to uh, be social, even if you aren't the most uh, you don't consider yourself to be the most extroverted person, because that certainly yeah. isn't my personality. But I um, I enjoy meeting new people and learning new things, whatever. So I like embrace that. And, and look what happened. I'm talking to you this morning. So. <laughs> Like it's it's a it's a great thing I think to engage with people and be genuine and honest about what you want out of your relationships with people. Definitely. And in closing, what have you got coming up after this? This is going to be the last day of your showing. Uh, what have you got coming up, and what um, what are you excited for coming in the future? So a couple of things. Uh, one is I will be part of the uh, ongoing Black on Black project, which is a uh, um, an effort by Mike Williams and Linda Dallas. Uh, so at American Tobacco Campus, uh, we're going to have work on display. And if you go to Arts Now NC, you can learn more about the Black on Black project. Um, but there's at least 10 artists, I think, involved in the project right now. And so I'll have work that'll be a part of that. I think the work is being installed now and it'll be on display throughout the Art of Cool Festival. Um, so that's one thing to look out for. I guess further away from uh, the triangle, I'll have work on display at Sumter County Gallery uh, in late April through June. And so I'm working on a series of portraits uh, called Cyanosis. Uh, the series is, is entitled Cyanosis. And it's a series of, again, paintings of faces and, and part of the faces have been painted uh, blue uh, as in a allusion to uh, a lack of oxygen um, and a, a lack of uh, freedom and liberty all, all those things that we should be experiencing that we experiencing that we have been deprived from as as citizens um, in the United States and so that's what that that project has sort of been about for me and so those those pieces two of those paintings will be on display as a part of um, the black on black project and then a, a number of those paintings will be on display down at Sumter County Gallery Art What's the best way for people to keep up with you? I think those uh, Instagram and Twitter hound handles. And so I'm, I regularly post my visual sort of experiments and announcements about what I'm doing. So will art for food uh, on Instagram is, is probably the best way. And, and absolutely my personal website, uh, professional personal website, WilliamPaulThomas.com. And tell us one more time about what the event this weekend is and where it is. So uh, you can see... Uh, the Bricks Need Mortar exhibition at Anchor Light on 1401 South Bloodworth Street um, today and tomorrow. And tomorrow, along with seeing the exhibition, you can also uh, see a screening of Ava DuVernay's 13th from 4 to 7 p.m. Thank you so much for coming out and speaking with us, Will. You're listening to the Oak City Move. My name is Fion. My name's Sarah. And we've been speaking with Will William Paul Thomas, who is an artist based out of Chapel Hill. He's going to be doing a showing at Anchorlight as well as plenty of other things. So if you catch his Twitter handle or, or his Instagram and you can go to his website or check out Arts and see Arts Now NC and they've got some things posted there too. The Anchorlight is out in Southeast Raleigh and the event is tomorrow. Thanks for speaking with us, Will. And if you Thank missed you. <laughs> if you missed any of this interview or if you missed us speaking with John Lindsay earlier, you can go to blog.wknc.org. Or you can go to our website, oakcitymove.tumblr.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear any feedback or suggestions. 
Come signing out. My name's Fion. I'm Sarah. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Oak City Move. This last song we've got for you after the break is called Liberation featuring Anderson Pack from Sir. And then we've got I Love Lucy coming on for their psych rock show, which we cut into. I'm sorry. I love Lucy. I apologize. Never happening again. You're listening to WKNC <laughs> 88.1. This has been the Oak City Move. Ta-ta.